Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Orioles Review Radio. I'm your usual uh, co-host, uh, Sean Newkirk here, without my other co-host, Josh Ward. But as always, I'm pleasured to be joined by uh, the overlord, the editor-in-chief, uh, Max Reaper. Max, what's going on? Good. Uh, are you uh, all exhausted by the, the, the three-day draft-a-thon that happened yeah. Uh, recently? Yeah, I can't believe. And one of my favorite things of the draft is uh, on day two when uh, Jim Callis of, uh, of MLB. No, uh, yeah, wait, who am I thinking of? Uh, Jim Callis of MLB.com, and then uh, I think it's John Mayo. Are oh, they? They're both both MLB.com. They do um, they do like day two and day three coverage, and they're just there's a point where like they're just thinking they just are like I have no idea who this player is, and so that's my favorite thing is when they get stumped, and they got stumped a little early this year. Usually they go like three or four rounds <laughs> before they get stumped, but I think. By kind of the beginning of day two, they were like, "Yeah, I don't know who that guy is." Um, well, I don't know how I don't know how they have enough material to come up with yeah something for a lot of the guys up to that point because like they, and they only have like a couple minutes between picks, yeah. so they got to kind of get that stuff up quickly. I don't know if there's like an editing process or they're tipped off on the picks or what, but um, it's, they've got stuff up pretty quickly to talk about. Yeah, I think they do it just kind of uh, do it live and like even like uh, um, from. From the Royals, like when they took uh, Tyler Zuber, they were like, they go, oh my god, they had, you know, he was a six rounder. Obviously, that's still late, but like, they had no idea who he was. And then, you know, like two minutes later, they get like texts from scouts, and they're like, scouts are like, yeah, this is him. They go, okay, so they have to rely a lot on them. But still, that's that's, I don't know, yeah, I don't know how they do it. So I was I was worn out after day one. I can't imagine after, you know, day two going whatever they went twenty rounds in day two. I'm not sure how deep they go on that one, or maybe ten rounds. That's it. Um, so, anyways, but yeah. Uh, ready to go? What do you think about the the Royals draft? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. A little draft coverage for you. What did you? What are your overall thoughts for that? Um, I guess one thing that kind of struck me is that there's not a single drafty. I think that I would say power is their like number one tool, yeah. like or there's like well above average in the power t- department, which is interesting. I think that's probably by design. It seems like there's a lot of Speed guys, which um, which is great for Coffin Stadium, but um, I guess I would have liked to have seen a little more pop uh, being developed, especially if there's not really any power hitters in the minors other than Chase Below and yeah. Ryan O'Hearn, I guess. Um, so I would have liked to have seen maybe a little more diversity on that aspect. But um, um, I, I guess my my thoughts is that it wasn't it wasn't a terrible draft, but wasn't I wasn't thrilled by the picks. Um, I don't know. I guess I think you would be the same or perhaps more pessimistic yeah no i thought it was reasonable uh, um what i think i gave it a b minus just overall like it was a fine draft kind of in a vacuum mm-hmm. uh, i don't think they took anybody that was an awful pick um i think the reason i graded it a b minus is because there was guys that i would have taken ahead of some of the guys they took right. um which doesn't mean you know that it was a bad draft but it was just kind of i had different preferences um, I mean, just from off the bat, the the Prado pick, the Royals at 114 took Nick Prado uh, from Huntington Beach. Uh, he's a first baseman. And I um, – oh, and of course my wife is walking in right now. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, so, no, I wouldn't have taken Prado there, but, um, you know, that's – I, I, it's not a bad pick. You know, he didn't get popped super early. He went a little earlier than maybe I would have taken, and there was definitely guys ahead of him that I liked. But in a vacuum, the Prado pick w- was just good there, I think. Well, and it seems like there was a point in the draft where there was a run 
on players that you really liked. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, at nine, the Brewers took Keston Hira, the second baseman out of UC Irvine, who I think you had like as one of your top yeah. guys that could be on the board for the Royals. Yeah. One of the top hitters in, in college baseball last year. Great walk machine. Um, uh, and then followed by Joe Adele, a high school kid. Who I know you weren't very high on, but a lot of other people yeah. liked a lot. Jake Berger went to the White Sox next at, uh, at number 11. Shane Boz, who is probably my favorite guy, a high school pitcher, uh, uh, ended up going to the Pirates. So by that point, uh, I think a lot of the, the good names that we liked were, were off the board. However, when the Royals picked at 14, you still had Evan White, the yeah. first base from Kentucky, who you really liked. There was still Alex Fiedo, yeah. who pitched last night for the University of Florida in the College World Series. He was still out there. And then J.B. Bukowskis out of North Carolina, yeah. who I think a lot of people thought was a top what, six, seven. Yeah. He was number, he was he was almost one one at one. I mean, you know, start of the spring he was up there in consideration for one one. Yeah. So knowing how I mean, like and like you said, Prado wasn't a reach. I don't think like a lot of people had him ranked fifteen to twenty, which is yeah. uh, pretty commensurate to where, where they end up picking him. But knowing how it kind of unfolded, knowing he was on the board still, how do you feel about the Prado pick? Like yeah, who would I mean, you who would you have taken? You think? Do you think at, at number fourteen? Um, that's a tough one because there's kind of two ways I thought about it. Um, you know, going into the night, you know, if if the draft felt exactly kind of how everybody was thinking, yeah, Prado's a, Prado's a, a, a fair pick at 14. Um, he was right around there. I know, I think Baseball America rated him right almost at 14. Uh, they put him at, actually got it right in front of me. Uh, where are you, Prado? I thought I had it. Oh, they had him at 20. Uh, never mind. They had him at 24th. Someone had him right at 14. Might have been Keith Law or Fangraphs. Um, but, you know, that was reasonable, but... It, the draft didn't unfold kind of how the mocks do, and it you know very rarely ever does. Um, and so I don't think anybody thought that Jimmy Bukowskis would fall um, to 15th, uh, one pick after the Royals. So I really was thinking, I would have, not that I loved his profile, and I actually think I rated him kind of at the bottom of who would kind of be around for the Royals, um, because uh, it's likely he's a reliever, but, you know, I would have taken him ahead of Prado. You know, if you told me, hey, Bukaskis is going to be there at 14 for the Royals. I would have taken that. Um, and then, of course, I was big on Evan White. And not that the Royals went after a first baseman. They specifically wanted to get one. But, you know, if you want a first baseman or if you're considering a first baseman, you know, yeah, the college first baseman profile is very rare that it works out. Um, but the first, but the prep first base profile, I think, is even more rare that that even happens or works out because um, normally that's the last resort for guys. And so Evan White uh, from Kentucky, who the Mariners took at the 17th overall, and he actually uh, got less money than Prado did, um, I think 300000 less. And so I like that pick a lot, lot more, Evan White. And like I said, not that they were looking for a first baseman, but if you're going to take a first baseman, I mean, you've got a guy in Evan White who's a better current hitter. Probably if Prado goes to what he's supposed to be power-wise, then he'll have more power than White has, but White has more has higher present power at least. Um, so you're projecting a bit on Prado's power. Um, and, of course, White's a better runner, and he could probably – it's not unrealistic to think that he could play center field. That's not likely, but he could play center field or uh, right field um, – or, excuse me, left field. And so – and even at first base, he's a really, really good defender. He's arguably the best defender in the whole draft class if you're just talking from a neutral kind of position. Um, obviously, a shortstop's a better overall defender than a first baseman, but – you know, on a on a position neutral basis, White is might be the best defender in the class, and then he also might be the best hitter, hit tool wise in the class. So, I really like White. Um, probably would have taken him over uh, Prado, and then Bukowskis as well. And I didn't love uh, Joe Adele, but uh, he went to the or not Joe Adele, uh, Jerron Kendall, um, and he fell to the Dodgers at the twenty third pick. And I didn't love him, but you know what? I would have taken him over Prado. Um, and then of course uh, Logan Warmoth. Uh, who the Jays took at 22. Um, he was a shortstop at UNC, and he might be one of the better hitters of the draft, too, and he's a lock at shortstop. So there were other guys I would have definitely taken, um, but, it, you know, it wasn't a bad draft. Uh, but I, I did like other guys ahead of Prado. But Prado's he's fine. He's fine at 14th overall. Yeah, I think uh, Kendall, the, the outfielder from Vanderbilt, was the guy that kind of intrigued me Yeah. Um, just because he's got, like, what, 70-grade speed. Yeah. And, and he's not a pop gun hitter either. He's got pretty good, you know, pop that should play well in the gaps at Kauffman Stadium. The strikeouts, are, of course, a huge concern. Yeah. But 
Um, yeah, you know, like I think we mentioned in the draft, uh, our pre-draft podcast. You know, at number fourteen, everyone's going to have some, yeah. you know, wrinkles to their, you know, some red flags to their game. Um, you know, Bukowskis, I think would have been nice, re- nice value at that pick. Yeah, uh, I, I, I tend to agree with you. He kind of looks like a little bit like a reliever, but um, you know, I, it's worth it's worth taking a look at. I mean, I I said the same thing about Sonny Gray. I thought Sonny Gray was going to be a closer for sure, and he's ended up being a very solid starting pitcher. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, the high school guys, the high school pitchers, I mean, I, I know a ton of fans were kind of tweeting at me, uh, don't take a high school pitcher. You know, the Royals can't yeah. develop high school pitchers, which maybe you know, may be true. Uh, but I, I kind of like this class of high school pitchers. I thought, you know, Boz is obviously a guy I really liked. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't on the board, but I thought D.L. Hall, who went to the Orioles at 21, I thought he had, uh, you know, a decent, you know, pretty good velocity for a left-hander and a... Um, you know, secondary stuff that could maybe play up a little bit. Um, I like Sam Carlson a lot. He ended up falling all the way to the second round. Yeah. So maybe there's some something there I don't know, and there, you know, there may be a reason for that. But I thought he was a guy that had a pretty polished repertoire for a high school kid as well. So, um, But like you said, I you know, there, I don't think Prado was a reach. I think the Royals, there's reasons why they chose him at 14. Uh, they, he seems like a high-character guy that they like. Um, smooth, smooth defender at first base, which inevitably brings the Eric Hosmer comparisons, right. but I think there are pretty good reasons not to compare him to Hosmer. I think you were pretty vocal about that. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, like, like it's not, so it's kind of an appeal to authority in a way, but Eric Hosmer was like a consensus top five guy, I, you know, I, from what I recall. He, was, he might have been higher than that, but he was like a dude that everybody was like, he was in the conversation for the one one. Oh wait, uh, am I wrong on that? I can't. No, I think that's. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I have to see if there's someone that was. Because that wasn't. Uh, uh, let me see. It wasn't like a Strasburg draft. Yeah, that it was, was the. Uh, yeah, it's Beckham and Alvarez and yeah. Hosmer. Yeah, it went one two three, um, and I remember it was the Beckham one was kind of off the board a bit by the Rays. Uh, yeah. But then Alvarez, Alvarez. Yeah, Alvarez was the guy everyone thought yeah. was going to be first or second, and Posey yeah. I think had some. Yeah, Posey too. Yeah, about that. and so. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the difference between kind of Prado and Hosmer. Hosmer was one of those top, you know, five guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. Made a consensus top talent. Prado was a bit more mixed, and that's, you know, that's a tool-based evaluation for the most part. Um, you know, way more pressing power for Hosmer. Of course, you know, it didn't bloom into kind of the peak that people had hoped it would have, but, he's you know, he has way, way more inherent power, raw power, than uh, what Prado has. Um, and I think he's going to end up having a better hit tool, maybe, as well. And Prado's a little, uh, a little not meatier, but he's he's definitely a little heavier than Hosmer. I don't. I think Hosmer's more athletic. Um, so it's just not a good comp. I, yeah, they're both first basemen. And then of course, you know, if Prado wasn't drafted by the Royals, you know, I don't know if he would have gotten the Hosmer comp. I think you know, if he's drafted by the Mets, he would have gotten a Dom Smith comp, which I think makes more sense. Uh, but, you know, of course, people don't like to make cross-racial comps for, you know, whatever racist reason. Uh, but, uh, I mean, because he went to the Royals, he gets a Hosmer comp automatically, which, I you know, isn't fair to Prado. Uh, but uh, I think the styles are different, you know, to begin with there. There was a interesting comment made by Dave Moore about Prado, I guess, being able to play the outfield. Because, uh, like, I think you I think you mentioned this in our last podcast, too. Like, it's not a good sign when a prep guy has already moved to first base, because usually, like, your best athletes, you put them at shortstop or you put them in center field at the high school level. They're already at first base. That usually means they're not as athletic enough to play those other positions. But uh, Moore said something about him being able to play the outfield, which yeah. and he's got a great arm. Yeah. He was actually, like, considered a draft uh, prospect as a pitcher as well. Uh, but is that something you think you can envision somewhere down the line in his professional career, playing outfield? I don't know. I mean, yeah, when guys, I mean, especially first basemen, guys who are in, of that mold, they generally fill out a bit more. I mean, Don, and I'm going to keep bringing back Dom Smith because Dom Smith is probably the best comp I can think for Prado, uh, and it's just a precursor on Dom Smith for the listeners who don't know much about him. Uh, he was taken by the Mets at 10th or so overall. I don't recall the exact pick. Maybe that's too high. Um, but he was taken by the Mets, uh, another one of those kind of uh, prep first basemen. Uh, he was 11th. That's actually 11th in 2013. Um, he's one of those guys where had a really, really good hit tool coming out of high school, um, kind of a first base only. But the question was always like, okay, when's his power going to come? When's the power going to come? He flashed it a bit and kept kind of showing off, um, but never really got it fully there. 
I think in his first, and just looking at his stats, I want to say in his first few seasons he hit no more than, looks like six home runs um, in any level at one time. High A at the age of 20, he hit six home runs in f- almost 500 plate appearances. But now, uh, you know, last year in Double A he hit 14. This year in the PCL and Triple A at age 22, he's already at uh, eight. Um, so he's getting there. So that's the thing. So it's always kind of like, okay, where's the power coming from? Uh, so Prado is kind of of that similar mold where we're thinking like, okay, kind of where does that come from? And as he fills out, we're wondering if he's going to kind of slow down, which almost always happens. Guys don't usually get faster as they get older. Um, so as he slows down, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's happening. He's, he was it's already a pretty decent defender there at first base. Um, so I think they're going to stick with him there. And that's kind of the opposite of Evan White. Evan White um, is already filled out. You know, he's already the size he's going to be. Prado is going to grow a bit more, as all you know, 18-year-olds do. So I don't know. I don't want to say that's just dating more. You know, just saying stuff and you know, always because of course he's not going to say, oh no, he's he can never play the outfield. Um, but I think it's a little bit of, yeah, we think we see him as an outfielder, but I don't think Moore is going to, you know, stick it to that, um, you know, later on. Yeah. And it's also interesting, like, it's Prado, he'll begin his professional career in Arizona and the Arizona Summer League, probably spend the rest of the year there where they'll give him some instruction. And then maybe next year he'll, he'll get sent to either, I guess, Burlington or Idaho Falls for short season ball, I would think. Yeah, probably Burlington, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. Whereas Evan White, he's he's already playing in the the Pioneer League against the Idaho Falls Chuker, yeah. so yeah. you know a little more different timetable, and and yeah. you know maybe the Royals can can afford to wait on Prado a little bit more. Maybe they like their first base depth. Maybe they think they're going to re-sign Hosmer, uh, yeah. but but certainly not as much urgency. It'll, it'll take good probably four or five years before he's a a major league regular. It seems like so. Yeah, yeah. Royals like to send prep guys. They usually let, don't let them go anywhere during this the summer. The summer that they get drafted, I think usually they kind of just kick it in the AZL for a bit, kind of get accustomed to things. But, yeah, usually it's Burlington, Lexington, Wilmington, on and on. But Burlington is usually where they send the prep guys. And then um, Pioneer League, uh, Idaho Falls is where they send the college guys generally yeah. at that draftees. So just for listeners in case they ever wonder. Um, Willie Aikens is the hitting coach of the AZL Royals, by the way. Just so you guys oh, know. good. And Mark Davis, Will. he was a Royal, right, Mark Davis? Yep, okay. yeah, one of the biggest free agent busts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. So now he's uh, teaching them what not to do, I guess. Yeah, so. he's pitching coach on there. Well, yeah, all right. Uh, so, well, speaking of high school guys, I guess the Royals took a second round. In the second round, they took uh, prep catcher MJ Melendez. Uh, I, I don't know. I think you and I have the same thoughts about catchers. I'll, I'll let you go first about what do you think about Melendez? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on overall, prep catchers, I think are, I think, I think Baseball Prospectus did a study of this. That is the position that is the worst draft, like worst draft type of all, is prep catchers. They almost unanimously do not work out. Um, and I can't even thinking off the top of my head. Austin Hedges was a prep catcher, and he's. Uh, it took him a while, and he's not even a very good hitter. I can't think of any prep catchers that are in the big leagues right now. Can you think of any that I'm? Let me. Mm. Like most of them are all. I'm gonna go down. Well, I guess Devin, you got Devin Mesareko. He was in for a little bit, I guess. Wasn't he a high school guy? Yeah, because I, I guess you've got. Yeah, there's not that many. Though. Yeah, I guess Latin and Latin American guys. I guess that counts. Um, yeah. But I mean, like Posey, Grandal, uh, Russell Martin was a third baseman. Like Lucroy. Like I'm thinking of all of these guys. Uh, Brian McCann. Uh, they were all Evan Gaddis. Yeah, they were all like college guys. Um, Evan Evan Gaddis. Evan Gaddis, I guess, was the janitor at a college. He didn't actually go to college, but <laughs> whatever, close enough. Um, so yeah, that. Prep catcher is just such a tough mold. And the good thing with Melendez, at least, um, kind of, he's a good, good defender. So that's the good thing. If there's a baseline to work with, you've got a guy who's a, who's a very, very good defender. It's not like Chase Velo, who's a bad defender, that we have to hope that he can stay a catcher. Melendez is a surefire catcher. Really, really strong arm, really good receiver, good throwing, um, sorry, <clears throat> good accuracy. So that's a good start, at least. And uh, Melendez kind of as a second tool to help add on from there is he's got pretty good power too. Um, so at least you've got some stuff to work with um, where it's not like with Austin Hedges who was a really, really good defensive catcher, maybe the best defensive catcher, maybe the best prep defensive catcher of all time. 
Um, and then you're like, okay, we have to then teach him to kind of hit. We've got to hope he accesses power. Like, it was kind of a whole makeover thing. Melendez is of that mold a bit where um, really good catcher, really good power inherently, but we've got we've to work on the hit tool. So that's kind of – that's always the thing that I hate is they'll have to work on the hit tool. Like, a lot of guys you can kind of teach them a bit of power. Um, if they're really good hitters, like you kind of look at like Matt Carpenter um, or um, Brian Dozier, guys who like you can teach them power kind of through, you know, swinging, changing their, their launch angle a bit. But Melendez, you kind of have to teach him how to hit. So there's a good baseline, um, but it's super, super risky. And then they went over slot with him too, which I thought was also a little weird. Um, I'm not By sure a lot. What, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what his leverage was. I mean, um, we were talking kind of pre before we started, you know, the, the podcast here, anybody from, you know, any of like the first five round guys, they're all going to sign. It's almost unanimously that they're all going to sign. Um, so I'm not sure Melendez's leverage was really, hey, you want to go to college three years from now? And he it's and he was committed to Florida International, which is a decent baseball school. But it's not like he's committed to LSU, uh, Florida, some big time school where you know he could really boost his stock up next or three years. And, and his and his dad is the coach there. I yeah. don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. But. Yeah, yeah, I guess no. That definitely does have something that you know persuade him a bit more. But man, he got a lot over slot, way more than I than I would think. And so that's another yeah, one of those where point one million to uh, one point. The slot was one point three. Yeah, he got, and he got two point one million dollars. Yeah. yeah, way. And so that's kind of one of those where it's like, well, you know, the pick itself maybe wasn't bad. He was 52nd on Baseball America's board, and he went right at 52nd. Um, I think that's correct. Yeah, he was rated at 52nd. Okay. So he went right where he kind of the talent was, but there were kind of guys like we had uh, mentioned, um, like Blaine Enlow was still around, um, who I really, really liked, and then uh, Sam Carlson, who Baseball America graded as the 21st overall pick. Uh, 21st overall, like, top talent. He was still available at 52. Uh, wait, am I right on that? Right? I think he was still available. Um, so that's one of those where it's like, not a bad pick, but in a vacuum. In a vacuum, it was not a bad pick, but kind of who was still available, it was a little like, mm, okay, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I I don't have a – I like him. I like – you know, I look in the video of him, look in the scouting reports. Like, he, he looks like a really good defensive catcher. He looks like he has pretty good left-handed power. Um, like, he looks like a pretty decent prospect. Yeah. I just – I I have a bad bias against taking catchers in the yeah. first two rounds. Just because what you mentioned about Baseball America study, but also, like, I think in the first two rounds you should be looking for superstars. Like, you need – Oh, yeah. You know – you know, especially when you're a small market team, you're not going to get a free agent star. You need to right. get, like, you need to develop your next Salvador Perez or Eric Hosmer, you know, or you, you really guys that are even better than that. Uh, and there are such few catchers that are stars that are, yeah, sure. you know, three, three, four win players every year. You got, you know, Buster Posey and Jonathan Lee Croy, and um, you know, it gets pretty Russell Martin and yeah. you know Salvi some years when he's, you know not fading in the second half, and, and that's about it. And yeah. there's not that many high-impact catchers. So you're asking this guy, you know, outfielders, there's lots of high-impact outfielders, pitchers, there's tons of high-impact pitchers, shortstop. We're in a great age for shortstops and third basemen. So, you know, and I, when I was a kid, like in the 80s, man, like there were years when like, just random dudes would go to the All-Star game because there's just no good catcher. Like, you know, Terry Kennedy would go or Terry Steinbach. It was just like – you hit 260 with like 10 home runs, you were an all star. Yeah. So it's just hard to be a high impact catcher, and so like the odds are kind of stacked against him. And I, and I trace my bias to the Royals taking Brent Maine in the first round one year, yeah. who was a left handed hitting catcher, uh, because they like because they like well we need a catcher basically. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. So I don't know. Like I think catcher usually if, if unless you have a stud, you you just go find a guy. You get like a random Rod Barajas or a, you know. Some some you know lifer that's just sitting out there. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like that pick could have been used for someone with a little higher upside. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this guy is actually a Jonathan Lucroy or a you know Russell Martin type that ends up being a really solid four win player for you. And then you know, so, like I said, there aren't many, very many of those guys. If you do find one of those guys, they're very valuable. So yeah, yeah he uh, Melendez got uh, like so. Uh, this isn't comprehensive at all, but like. 
Melendez, so like the Giants took Helio Ramos, who um, a couple people on the Royals Review website actually really liked. Um, they took him. He got $3 million, $3.1 million. I mean, um, uh, actually, sorry, I'm thinking wrong here. Uh, Bubba Thompson, who went to the Rangers, he went 26 overall the Rangers. He got $2.1 million. I mean, you know, Melendez went 25 picks later, and he got the exact same bonus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they definitely are going, like, you know, all eggs in this basket on him, essentially, um, with how much they gave him against kind of how much his, his slot value was worth there. So they must really like him. And, I, I mean, I don't know. There's something that they see in him, and sometimes they've been right, sometimes they've been wrong. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I'd been super critical of uh, Lonnie Goldberg and kind of the whole Royals drafting the past decade-ish. And so, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those picks that we might look back. And not that you can expect a lot from your second rounder necessarily, but I, I don't know. This one of those was like, okay, you guys paid him this much, and then every here were other guys on the board, and what happened? So, I don't know. Yeah, and, it's, you know, it's not like, you know, they paid him way over slot, and that has consequences. I mean, to yeah. do that... They had to pay. They had to take four college seniors in the top ten rounds, yeah. which you know, J.C. Cloney. Maybe he'll end up being something, but those are probably wasted picks yeah. that they had to throw away because they wanted to pay. They had to get Melendez at that price, and so yeah, they, they've got a lot invested in him, and they, he's kind of he's kind of got to pan out uh, because there are some guys they passed up in those other four rounds that yeah, granted those rounds probably aren't going to yield a bunch of great players, but. You know, you're missing. Uh, you know, the draft is all about maximizing your opportunities yeah. to to find talent. And those are four rounds where they basically had to take a, a zero because um, they wanted to get Melinda so much. So yeah, and, and you mentioned it perfectly that like the Royals, uh, th- it's exactly what the Oakland A's and the Tampa Rays do is they have to try to get superstars. They have to go boomer bust on guys only because they can't afford those guys in free agency. And they usually can't, like, trade for those guys necessarily. Um, so they are, like, one of those organizations, and I think the Royals need to be the exact kind of way sometimes, is they need to go after these boomer bust guys mostly. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure Melendez brings that for you. But early on, I mean, you know, you've got to go for star power. And not that I didn't like Brandon Finnegan, but, you know, Brandon Finnegan was another one of those where, like, are they going to just get try and get, like, a player who, you know, has a kind of higher floor? Or are they trying to get a guy that, you know, could be a – a three, four, five, one player, you know, annually. So, um, but yeah, I think you nailed the nailed the right on the head there. Yeah, in the next two rounds, they got a couple of JUCO guys, uh, both left-handed pitchers. Uh, they got Evan Steele in round two with their competitive balance pick. It's kind of at, pick at the end of the second round. Uh, he's a lefty out of Chipola Junior College in Florida. And then in the third round, they took Daniel Tillo, a left-hander out of Iowa Western Community College, uh, by way of Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah. Uh, I wrote an article before the draft that said that uh, the guy came up with the, the the Royals had drafted more JUCO players under Lonnie Goldberg than than other MLB te- MLB teams. What do you think about the JUCO strategy? I I kind of like it, but yeah. um, I guess what do you what are your thoughts about going that route? Yeah, JUCO is really so. I, um, this is a great thing that Rainey Dezarelli uh, has studied for Baseball Prospectus way back when. Was that there's a pretty nice little correlation between. Um, age and like draft results or how good a player ends up being. So, you know, young guys, 18 year olds, 17 year olds usually do better than their 19 year old counterparts. And generally, 20, 21 year old college guys do better than, you know, 22, 23 year old college guys. So I don't mind the Juco one. Um, you know, there's always going to be that question of, you know, like Evan Steele, you know, he's doing good in D2 baseball, but. Uh, I think Chipotle is D2. I don't know if that might be right. Uh, junior college. Junior college. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were, uh, they're, yeah, they're the champs. They were the champions this year. Yeah. What is it? Is it NAI? No. What is NGC NJCC. That's what it was. NJCC. I don't know why I think it's uh, Division II. Um, yeah, so. NJCAA, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, yeah, so there's kind of like, okay, so he did really well in this, you know, but what if he put him up? What, I mean, what if he was in the SEC, you know? Like, what if he was in – like a really, really tough league, and so that's that's how. These well, he guys was get actually. It's, it's interesting you say that because Steele was in the SEC. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Uh, pitched one year for Vanderbilt and only pitched eleven innings, yeah. so he had a four point six three ERA. And it was his freshman year. So. Yeah, yeah. But that's you know, it's like okay, so they're really good against this competition. Um, how do they do against you know better competition? So we'll see. I I don't mind the junior college guys, um, particularly since they're usually a little cheaper as well. Um, mm-hmm. 
I would wonder what the highest a Juco guy's ever gone in a draft. I, I'm sure it's probably higher than I think it is. Um, but Steele is interesting, at least in and of himself, um, just because he's got really good stuff and he looks he looks awesome. Like from like a pitcher's mold, uh, he is intimidating looking from the mound. Um, and he did really, really good. I think he was like in like the 300th or something um, from BA's list way back when he was first draft, draft eligible, which would have been two years ago. Um, if I have my timeline right, and so then he went to, uh, then he you know left Andy, went down to Chipola, and you know really boosted his draft stock, which was so good for him. Um, but he's a big, big dude, so I kind of like from a mold standpoint, kind of what he brings. Um, but then it's one thing that really turns me off though is that he had that game where I think he went 114 pitches. Uh, I'd have to look it up. But he had a game where he threw... I think it was like 140. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think he went 114-ish for one game, and then like a few days later, he went to like 140. Yeah. Um, and that's... How, just, how, how, how that's still legal in this day yeah. and age is kind of crazy. Yeah, you, you just can't do that to pitchers. Um, but, you know, college coaches don't care. I mean, it's that, um, you know, it's that moral it was for the just, It was for the championship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure Steele didn't have a problem with it. Steele's like, sure, I'll go back out, but I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's, yeah. That's the only kind of concern. And plus he had a blood clot um, in his shoulder, which is very interesting as well. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't mind the pick, especially since he's cheap. I, I imagine I think he, he shouldn't command too much money. Um, you know, good base. He's left-handed, decent fastball. Um, so we'll see kind of how the curveball. And I think his changeup's gotten pretty decent reviews. So that's one of those where it's like, you know what, it was uh, it's kind of a later pick. Oh, not later, but I guess it was a, you know in the second round-ish. So it's not like it, he they took him at 14th overall, but... Um, yeah, I guess we'll see that. And I think I'm the exact same way on Tillo, too. Tillo's super athletic, really good fastball, um, decent slider. So, you know, what? I, I would rather have those guys. I'd rather have Juco guys and prep guys at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they kind of provide the best of both worlds. Like, you know, like they, they're like a nice hybrid because they've, they, they've got enough youth to still have a lot of upside, whereas, you know, a lot of 20-year-old college guys maybe have more limited uh, ceilings, uh, but they're not completely raw. Like they don't know how to pitch, you know, or they don't have any secondary stuff because they've had to throw some secondary stuff yeah. and had to refine that a little bit at the college level. And Chipola, I mean, they were playing at a pretty elite level for junior college. Uh, and a lot of times these guys are just at junior college because maybe they didn't want to wait three years to wait for the draft, or there's some academic issues, or uh, they didn't get along with the, their first coach at the Division One level, or they weren't getting the playing time they expected. Yeah. Uh, so you know, there's. A lot of these guys are just as talented uh, as the Division One guys. They're just at junior college for a different reason. Uh, you mentioned Steele being a little uh, cheaper. He actually signed for a little bit under slot. Tillo signed for just barely over slot. Oh, so. that's right. Okay. I was thinking so, yeah, it was the other way around. Okay. Yeah, so there's, yeah, you're right. They're, they're pretty good deals. And, yeah, I think there's pretty good upside there. I mean, like, like Steele looks like, at the you know, has a pretty good, pretty high floor as a, as a loogie. You know, like he could be a pretty solid um, left-handed reliever. Uh, actually, Tillo, too, because he's got kind of got that low arm angle. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh, I, always, no, I always confuse the two. <laughs> yeah, it had been Steele. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, Steel, no, Steele's got kind of a... Uh, Steele's, a got, Steele's got the lower lower arm angle. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of you, you kind of see, like, if it doesn't pan out as a starter, like, he could be, like, a like a nice reliever, like what Scott Alexander's doing right now. Yeah. Uh, something like that. So, um, so I, yeah, I, I like taking Juco guys like that. I think there's some good upside there. They, they've they got good velocity and... and um, yeah, they should be able to jump jump in right away, and you know Matt Strom they got from the JUCO level, so there's definitely been guys they've had some success, uh, you know, through that. Draw Dyson's another guy, although he's not a pitcher, but um, so the, yeah, there's some success stories there. So I, I like I like the strategy. I think it's, yeah, that's smart and, way they're, to go. and they're both. I mean, both Tillo and Steele. Yeah, I mean they're both decent molds to start from. You know, maybe they end up being relievers, but. I can live with the reliever in the, you know, third round, yeah. you know, that I'm not asking him to go get, you know, Clayton Kershaw or something there. You know what? If you end up getting yeah. great, but at that point, you know, take you want, guys. You want big leaguers. You need yeah. some big leaguers to fill out your roster at that exactly. point. And Steele yeah. and Tillo seem like two guys that you can at least have a chance that they're going to be big leaders. They're not super boomer bust like a prep pitcher would be there. And, you know, I don't, I don't recall who's available when Steele was taken. Um, and I, I don't think there's really anybody necessarily that was like, oh, my God, how did they miss that guy? You know, it, uh, we don't ever see that. Uh, normally, you know, once you're getting into like the 60s and 70s, usually all the top draft guys are taken by then. So, yeah, 
I mean, I can certainly live with those two picks uh, for where they're at there. And then the fourth round, uh, I think, is a guy that probably you and I and a lot of people on the internet loved. Yeah. Uh, and he's already he already had two home runs in his yeah. first professional game, which is amazing. Uh, center fielder Mike Lee, Michael uh, Gigliotti out of Lipscomb University, which I believe is in Tennessee. Is that right? I think so. Uh, he uh, tell us about G- uh, Gigliotti and why why you're so high on him. Yeah, I don't know if I'm high. And let me say that I guess take back my last statement that um, just looking out Blaine, Blaine Enlow, who I really like, he was actually available a few picks. Still, when they when they took Evan Steele, they took Blaine Enlow, but Enlow would have been overslot, I think. So I can kind of understand why they had Steele because uh, they had to save money for Melendez. But anyways, uh, Gigliotti, yeah, I mean, I think there was a conversation. I think he would have maybe been in the conversation. Because he had a, a, for very early on, I mean, maybe a, t- a first-rounder, potentially. Um, he was super impressive in the Cape Cod League. And I wouldn't say I'm super high on him, but I, I definitely like the pick. I think this is the kind of, these are the guys that, you know, if you're going to, if in the first round and the second round you're looking for kind of high upside, the all-stars, the, you know, third-ish round, you can maybe get the guys that you're looking for big leaguers. And then even, like, I still think maybe fourth round you're looking for big leaguers, but you know that's not inconceivable. At you know here in the fourth round they got a guy who could have a huge ceiling. Um, you know if you lose your fourth round pick, if he you know ends up busting, whatever that's fine. And so Gigliotti would have been a guy that you know going into this summer or past summer he's really really good at the Cape Cod League, did everything, got on base, hit for some power, was speedy, played center field. I mean, he he was in the conversation. Had his Cape Cod League carried over to his play this spring, he would have been one of those kind of first round kind of guys. You know, maybe not like first overall, but he would have been in that conversation in the first round. Um, so the Royals, not that they're lucky or fortunate to get him, you know, in the fourth round, but he was a potential first round talent that just didn't carry over in the spring. Um, didn't really hit for very much power at all. Um, he kind of had issues with plate discipline. So people were wondering, like, okay, what kind of happened, at, you know, with Gigliotti? Like, where's the guy we saw in the summer? Particularly because, you know, Cape Cod's, a, uh, they use wood bats in the Cape Cod. Then, of course, in college, they use those uh, metal bats. Um, so you're like, okay, he did really good with the wooden bat, and then he did poorly with the, uh, with the metal bat. Usually it's the opposite there. Um, so I don't know. I, I like the pick, definitely. Um, one of those kind of maybe a great value pick. I think he signed for right at slot or maybe slightly under. Um, but it's like they had to pay a bunch of money, so this is a pretty good value pick, I think, for them. Yeah, I think he's uh, like your prototypical like leadoff guy. Like yeah. he draws a fair fair amount of walks. At least he did in college. Um, he can he can you know fly. He's got really good speed. Um, so he's kind of like I don't know like what they thought they. You know Joey Gather would be. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, sure. You know Joey Gather had drew a lot of walks in the minors and, and and stole a lot of bases. Just never didn't pan out. I think Gigliotta, you know, has a chance to be like you know better than that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I really like the pick. I thought it was a solid. I like finding guys like that, um, especially from smaller programs in college that maybe uh, get overlooked a little bit. And uh, Ellipscomb's a, a solid program, I yeah, think. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought I, I agree. That was a really solid value pick at that at that point. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I'm not expecting much from him. You know, yeah, if he never sniffs Double A, okay, whatever. I'm not that worried about it. Um, but I mean, it, just in his debuts, you mentioned yeah, two home runs. He's you know, I think he drew how many walks does he have? Uh, you know, two walks in two games. Um, so I mean, he's already. Actually, I wonder if he's trade bait because he he he's walked more than he struck out in his two games so far. So I don't <laughs> I don't think he's a royal guy. Uh, Does not fit the philosophy? Yeah. No, no. I think we got to get him swinging a lot more. So yeah, I, I you know what? I'm totally fine with the pick. That's a good pick. I'll give a stamp on that one there. So. Hey, can we pause for one second? I need to plug something in real quick. Yeah, I'm gonna play the hold music All right, on the actual podcast. Hold on a second. <laughs> No, no All right. Um, so, yeah. So, Giga the audience, I think we're both consensus that that's a that's a nice little pick. Was there anybody else that you kind of maybe liked in the draft? Um, I guess like my 
I guess if you want to call him a sleeper, I like 13th rounder, uh, right-handed pitcher, Kaysen Sherrod out of Texas A&M. Uh, he hasn't signed yet because they were in the College World Series, so I don't know if he's he's going to sign or not. Um, but he's his college numbers aren't like super great. He had a 2.89 ERA, but his peripherals are he had 38 strikeouts and 43 innings, 24 walks. So he's got some command issues, but um, he's you know reportedly got a fastball in the mid 90s. Yeah. He's got good movement on it, good sink, which I love. I love sinker ballers. I like guys that induce ground balls. So you know if they can work on his mechanics a little bit, get him to throw strikes. I think that's a solid value pick at 13. That's a guy that you know you kind of project could be a starting pitching event you know, down the road. Um, I don't know. Other than that, is there any kind of late round guys you liked? No, I think you mentioned it, uh, Casey Gerard. Uh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, if you can. I mean, who cares what happens from that? You know, if he throws like mid 90s, can touch a little higher than that. College guy. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I mean, you know that that's great. That's the kind of guys that like. If I'm going to just throw money at the wall, you know, or spaghetti at the wall to see what the heck I can get, good enough for me. Um, uh, Travis Jones, uh, he's an outfielder from Texas. Uh, I was a big fan of uh, Ben Johnson, who was an outfielder from Texas. Um, I, Johnson hasn't quite panned out, um, but uh, Travis Jones kind of fits that similarish mold where he's a big dude, good outfielder, can play kind of all three positions, good arm strength, good power. Um, but we'll kind of see how he hits. Like, that's the kind of guys that, you know, that's your, that's like your kind of Lane Adams, you know, Whit Merrifield kind of guy where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's not a standout dude. But, you know, he was a Texas, I mean, he was a college, uh, college player. So, you know, he's got some, like, kind of baseline level, uh, late pick. You know, so it's, it's not like you're, you're banking on a lot of them. So those are the kind of guys that I kind of like, um, just kind of, in the backish round. Um, other than that, not particularly. Um, I've got a few. I got yeah. a seventeenth rounder shortstop Julio Gonzalez out of Florida Gulf Coast University. Uh, hit three twenty six as a left-handed hitter. You know, at shortstop, you know that's not nothing to sneeze at. He's got some plate discipline. Drew a fair amount of walks. So I mean, that's like a guy that uh, you know. We'll see what we got. Nicky Lopez, you know, was yeah. not a high round pick and he's he was taken out of Creighton uh you know I guess similarish profile in that respect left-handed hitter who drew some walks and he's excelled in the minor league so far and we'll see you know if he amounts to anything but um you know that's kind of a nice value pick at 17 um I kind of liked uh who was it uh oh uh, Beckwith uh Andrew Beckwith oh yeah 32nd rounder right-handed pitcher out of Coastal Carolina who um he had a 1.85 ERA last year just had a kind of not very good 2017 season which probably cost him quite a bit as far as what round he went to but uh and i had a couple readers i think that really liked him so uh they vouched for him at least so um and then uh, uh, in the 14th round i'm not gonna pretend like i know anything about this kid isaiah henry is a right-hander a prep uh or prep kid out of houston uh that can throw a 94 but i guess when the royals took him there's talk that they're going to move him to the outfield which or it was where we replaced when he's not pitching, so that kind of I guess gives me memories of Khalil Lee when yeah. he was taken. Like yeah. he was a, a lot of people thought he was a pitcher, and the Royals moved him to the outfield, and he uh, he's done pretty well so far. We'll have to see how he goes. So um, so I don't know. Those are a couple names that I thought could be uh, could be something. Yeah, I actually liked. Um, uh, actually, real quick, I want to see something. Yeah, I'm trying to think of people from Coastal Carolina. Michael Brant? No, it's Mickey Brantley. It's like, wait, Michael Brantley's not from Coastal Carolina, but okay. Now, there's one player, and I've never heard of this guy. Maybe you have. Kurt Manwaring. Um, oh, yeah. He was a, that was a popular Bermanism back in the 90s. Kurt, what, what is that man wearing? <laughs> Giants know. and Rockies catcher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Giants catchers is listed here. So, yeah, he... Oh, Tommy Listella. There you go. Tommy Listella, oh. who's I've always liked, but I don't even know if he's in... Uh, so I guess they were the champs that win Beckwith. I guess I because I'm not a big college baseball fan, but yeah. I do remember they they won the the title in 2016. Ah. So yeah, he was part of that team. He's a, he's got the championship uh, pedigree. Nice. Um, <laughs> I did like uh, oh Colin Snyder. Uh, the Royals took with the 12th with their 12th round pick, 360th overall. Um, Vandy guy. So you know that you know there's at least he's at least a decent kind of college prospect. Like you know as far as where he came from, Vandy doesn't just pick up you know. 
whoever the heck they can. They, they usually have a waiting list to get in there in a way. Um, really good fastball. You know, he's a reliever only, um, but kind of a nice little guy that, you know, hopefully you can kind of teach him to pitch a bit more, maybe get a slider. I mean, he's only a two-pitch kind of guy, but kind of a sinker baller, uh, slider guy, right-handed. So it's one of those where it's like, you know what, Vanderbilt guy, I trust enough with that. That's a good starting line, and then you just kind of go from there. Um, they took a couple guys, and I had a tweet about this. I'm going to see if I can uh, dig it out eventually, and maybe I'll bring it up in a later podcast as a remembrance. A lot of the guys, so when when J.J. Cooper or Jim Callis or someone, they tweeted out that Tyler Zuber, who the Royals took uh, 180th overall in the sixth round, they said from Arkansas State, the closer of Arkansas State, they listed his draft, uh, his slot, not his slot bonus, his bonus, his draft bonus at 2500 And everybody goes, what? That's got to be a typo, right? 2500 The Royals, uh, I think they actually ended up taking four guys that they paid 2500 for, which has got to be like not only a record, but like, 2,500 is one of the lowest like draft bonuses I've ever seen, um, and then they have four guys taken as that. So that was just I don't know. That's kind of an off interesting kind of thing, but you kind of wonder, man, those poor dudes like <laughs> they really really want to play baseball. Obviously, but it's like, man, come on, really? 2,500. And teams will often like go way under slot yeah. on a college senior because the guy has no leverage. Like yeah. play with us or play in the independent leagues. So, but like, what's a common slot? What's 10, a common 000? bonus for? For college I mean, slot, like 10,000? Yeah, yeah, usually 10,000 bucks. Like, uh, that's like the give me, like, you know, 10,000 bucks or like, even like, and it just sucks for those guys because like, even the guys after the 10th round, anything over 125,000 doesn't count against your, your slot. So if those guys were taken like later, they could have been like, all right, come on, give me like 20,000 bucks. Like, you could, I know you're not going to give me the full 125,000, but like, come on, throw me a bone here at least. <laughs> Um, it's it's interesting too because the Royals got criticized pretty heavily in the early 2000s for taking this strategy. And back then there were no draft slot bonus. You could pay guys whatever you wanted, yeah. but they still chose to do this just because they were cheap. And so they, the, the 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 apocryphal story is that they gave Mike Avila's like what like a thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and he was a college senior and he like he wanted to play professional baseball, so he's like he took it, but he wasn't very. Wasn't very happy about it, so, but the Royals were kind of well known for doing that and just kind of take it or leave it offers to these college seniors and and because they were cheap. <laughs> yeah, hold on. I think now I, now it's not because they're cheap; it's because they want to they wanted to pay MJ Melendez. But yeah, I yeah. agree that it's that is very low. <laughs> yeah, so I was looking at this um, 2003. So I, I collected all the draft bonuses since 2000. So the Royals. So a thousand is the lowest draft bonus anybody's ever gotten. Uh, that's uh, and it's uh, like ten guys have gotten that. But funny, funny enough, and you could probably speak to this because you know who the heck it is. In two thousand three, the Royals took one, two, three, four, five guys, rat picks uh, uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Those dra- those rounds, rounds five through nine, the Royals took all of those guys, gave all of those guys one thousand dollars. Um, just so they could go over, they could overspend on Luis Costa, who I don't know who that is, uh, you know, before I looked this up, but anyways, that ended up not being a good pick, right? With Luis Costa? Coda? Is that, yeah, I think I kind of vaguely remember. Yeah. Like I vaguely remember him as like a, I think it was a draft and follow and he, uh. Ah, okay. It was Coda. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know if he got past double A. No, he never got higher than, uh, I think it was a ball I wrote. Yeah. I never got higher than a ball. Um, Luis Coda. So they took him, yeah, in 2003. Anyways, that's one of the things where it's just funny to see, like, I, I compiled this list of the lowest draft bonuses, and all these guys got 1000 I'm like, wait a second. There's, like, six Royals on this list, and all of them <laughs> came from, like, the exact same year, except for, I guess, in 2004, Royals took Ed Lucas. I don't know who that is, but anyways. Um, and he made, the, he made the big leagues. Ed Lucas did? Yeah, he's uh, oh. he was at the Marlins for a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, he bounced around a little bit. See, my knowledge doesn't really go... Very, very. I I started like 2008 and on. Well, I guess he was in the majors in 2013, um, but I don't really recall him. But I don't know. So that was interesting. But yeah, 2500. Come on, like yeah, <laughs> uh, those poor guys. So pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah, overall, I think it was an okay draft. I don't know. 
what will be interesting is to see next year's draft could be either really, really good. Uh, so, okay, next year's draft could go really, really two very, very opposite ways. They could end up having like five, six picks like in like the first two rounds, or they could end up having just, you know, the one or two, I guess, first and second round. And I guess then they got their competitive round pick. But, you know what I'm saying, like, a wide variation of outcomes of how many picks we could have next June with all the guys that are maybe leaving. Yeah, and I wonder also wonder like how how the state of the big league team affects how, how they draft. I yeah. mean, it maybe doesn't affect them at all. Maybe they're just drafting based on their board. But um, you know, like, will they want to draft college guys and start winning again real quickly? Will they take their time and take you know guys that may take a little bit longer? Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. It's and then when you have more picks too. That allows you to kind of manipulate yeah. the draft pool a little bit more, too. It gives you a little more wiggle room. So yeah. we saw them kind of – they did that with Sean Manaya and um, Hunter Dozier. Was that 2013? Yes. Um, so, you know, that, that could allow some more creativity as well. Yeah, that's one of those where, um, uh, you know, Moore's, Moore doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would go – well, okay. So he's not a guy that I think would go full-on rebuild necessarily. Um, so I could see him taking like a like a Carson Fulmer, like a guy who's like, okay, we could see him in the big leagues that same year, um, even though you know the team might not compete for five, six years, you know, uh, given mm-hmm. the state of the current farm. So that's kind of where he's like, oh, come on, like, yeah, it's nice to get these high floor kind of guys, but it's like, if you're not gonna, you might not even compete in his window, like when he's like under team control, theoretically, if it's like a guy mm-hmm. like Carson Fulmer. Um, so. It's one of those where it's like it's very interesting to see what they're going to do next year, um, given how many picks they may or may not have and what their strategy are. So, um, one thing I did want to talk about is maybe where these guys would slot in. Um, just kind of off your cuff, where do you think you'd put like Prado? Does he seem like kind of a top five guy to you, or maybe a little more calmer than that? Yeah, I think he's definitely top five, okay. and I think that says more about the state of the system yeah. right now than anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you been? Like thinking about the midseason uh, prospect list? Yeah, kind of lightly, only because some of the guys that I rank like in my top five uh, aren't doing that well. Um, like Ryan O'Hearn's struggling a bit, Donnie DeWeese is struggling a bit. Um, so that's kind of thinking like, you know, am I, did I miss something? You know, am I wrong here or is this maybe um, give it a little more thought and just see what's going on? Like, I know, like, Donnie DeWeese is getting killed by Babbitt, so I don't know what they have to do if I'm actually going to move him down and keep him where it is, but um, that's been my kind of thought. So, um, I think Prado, okay, so I wouldn't have him ahead of Velo, um, who I have as number one. Wouldn't have him ahead of O'Hearn, because O'Hearn's already done well in AA and even done well for a, while, a little bit in AAA. Um, I don't think I'd have him head of a Deweese, even though Deweese isn't doing too well in double A. I could maybe see someone taking I could maybe see him over Zimmer, just because Zimmer at some point you gotta wonder if he's even like Yeah, he's a prospect, but at some point, you know, you're thinking like, come on, dude, like if you can't ever be, you know, fully healthy, do you really even are you even a prospect? Um Stamont Stamont <sighs> is for sure a reliever for me. But He's already been in Double A. Uh, Scott Blewett, you know. Then you're getting into Scott Blewett, Suli Matias, um, Khalil Lee kind of territory where you know you would default to like Suli Matias. You would definitely be behind Khalil Lee, who's already at Lexington, uh, doing fairly well. So he's going to be in that five to ten range for me. Um, I I can maybe see him. Now, I don't know. I can fifth it would probably be the highest I'd put him. Um just because the guys ahead of him might not have the upside potentially, but they've already done well in double A or they've kind of done well in triple A even, like in the case of uh like Zimmer, even though he's always hurt, Zimmer's has decent outings there and so I don't know. I'd probably he's gonna be in that five to ten range. Melendez he's not gonna be in the top ten for me, at least kind of preliminary at this point, and then everybody's gonna fall kind of from there. So I think that they've definitely added a couple guys to their top 20 overall. I could see Melendez and Prado, maybe even Steele falling in that kind of range. Um, but, yeah, I don't think they've. I don't think any of these guys are going to be in their top five. Uh, I think Keith Law 
wrote about guys who were, were drafted this year that are instant, that are instantly in their like top one or two, and I think he made the argument that Prado would be uh, the second overall, would be the Royals' second best prospect. So definitely some little higher on him than you know than that. But that's I, I don't think that no, I don't think they're in the side of the top five. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you that he would be behind probably Lee and Velo just because they're young guys that have had success and they still have really really good upside. I guess I don't I like O'Hearn. I don't know if his upside's super high anymore. Yeah. Uh, just because he's his age and where he is now. Uh, you know, Prado, I'm not like super high on, but he's at least young enough to have like you can still see a pretty high ceiling with him if that power does develop, which I'm yeah. a little skeptical of. So I think I'd probably have him ahead of O'Hearn. Yeah. And the pitching, whew. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what pitch, pitchers I'd put ahead of him at this point. Like Blewett's doing well. Foster Griffin yeah. is pitching a lot better this year. Yeah, like, but I don't think I'd have him ahead of Prada. Like Zimmer, I agree with you. Just like he has to, and I like Zimmer. I think he, I think he will be healthy eventually. But yeah. I just, I kind of, it's kind of like I'll believe it when I see it. So yeah, I, I could uh, see Blewett being ahead of him. I, I mean, yeah. I like Blewett. Blewett's doing well in Wilmington right now. But yeah, it's not like it's a slam dunk. You know, no, no. Like yeah. Evan White, I think if they took Evan White, or if they took Kesson here, I like I think I would have them, if not number one, number two. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like, I think those guys are gonna move fast. But um, here's what Keith Law said in his post, uh, and I'm listeners, I'm urging you to uh, be insider because this is kind of insider only. Um, but he said Keith said that the Royals didn't have a top 100 guy. Last winter, and their number one prospect, Matt Strom, is now in the rotation, and he's no longer eligible uh, for his list. Uh, he's made the Royals. He's, he's on the big league team, so obviously he's not going to be a prospect anymore. So Nor is Mondesi, too. Yeah. A lot of people ask me about Mondesi, and he's not yeah. prospect eligible anymore, yeah. anymore either. So, And so Keith said their new top prospect without considering Prado would be Miguel Almonte, which is a little surprising to me. Um, who's oh, pitched, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. pitched well, um, and so he thinks so – I think he had Prado as like their number two is what he's getting at. I don't know why. Oh no, actually I think he lumped them in. Yeah, no, he would have Prado as he. I think he's saying it'd be Prado then Miguel Amante. That's a little interesting to me, but um, yeah, I think Keith Law oh, thinks at least Prado's now the number one prospect in the system. So that's interesting. On the on the John Sickles grading system, where would you, how would you put Prado as like a B, B plus? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Um, let me look real quick. Hold on. I want to see what uh, – this is a, not fair to him, but I want to see where Dom Smith – I want to see where what Sickles graded John Smith, Dom Smith, because that's a really good uh, – let me see. That what, the, year he was, the, the year he was drafted or now? The year he was drafted because okay. um, I think that's a really good baseline. Before looking at that, I'm going to – I would put him as a B. I think a B is a good fit. I think it, a B plus is too strong. A B minus might be too weak. Um, so I think B is good. And yeah, John Sickles gave uh, Dom Smith a B, borderline B minus. So maybe he was a little underrun. But he said uh, we'll have this. And this is the 2014. So Smith would have been drafted, played a little bit of pro ball, but you know didn't really get assigned to a full season level. He said we'll have to see about the power. But some sources I trust are enthralled about the pure hitting skills. The obvious, obvious comp is James Loney. Line drive hitter, strong glove, but atypical first base power. Um, and when they max out, they're Keith, they're Keith Hernandez typically. And when they don't, they get stuck in AAA. So, yeah, I think that's a fairly reasonable kind of thing for Prado. So I think, yeah. yeah that's funny. It's funny when you, uh, you say, like, I heard the scouting report for, for Prado, and I looked at some of his video, like, Loney was the first name I thought yeah. of as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, smooth defender, uh, can spray the ball around, yeah. but doesn't have, like, plus power or anything yeah. like that. So, and but we'll see. I mean, Loney's a decent career, seven yeah. seven one player yeah. for his career, you know, and he's made tens of millions of dollars, I think. So yeah, man, nothing wrong with James Loney. But hey, hey, Brent Maine had like a twelve year major league career, and made millions of dollars too, and I yeah. I just dissed him early on the podcast. Sure. Hey, uh, if you can get a major league player in the first round, like yeah. you kind of want, that's half the battle right there. <laughs> yeah. James Loney's made thirty six million dollars according to Baseball yeah. Reference. So he's had a very wealthy career. Um, he's made more than shoot. Uh, has Eric Hosmer made that much? In, excluding draft bonus? I don't, no, Eric Hosmer I think has made that much. Anyways, decent, very, very good career. So, 
Um, yeah, I would definitely take that. If you look at some of these guys, there's somebody that just has made an inconceivable amount of money for how awful they are. And I can't think of who it is, but they're, I don't know, I'd have to look it up. But basically anybody who's reached 60 years of service time and are free agent have probably made a ton of money. Whether you're good or not, you have probably made way more than maybe your talent level would suggest. But hey, that's that's the beauty of no salary cap in baseball. Think about how many teachers we could pay with that, that kind of money. Gosh. So, okay. Well, that sounds like a nice little podcast. What uh, what further thoughts do you have? Um, the, yeah, the Royals are. It looks like I think the scenarios you laid out for the draft next year. It looks like we're probably going to be heading towards lots of picks with no mm-hmm. no no prospects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming our way in July. So I don't know. I, I've I've got mixed feelings about that. I think your your feelings are probably a little stronger, but uh, yeah. we can get that. I think maybe more next time when we have a little better idea where the Royals are. Yeah, I just think, like, if this were any other team, uh, so, like, let's, so, like, Orioles fans, like, everybody's talking about, oh, my God, tear down the Orioles, but, like, they've got a better farm system than the Royals do, um, you know, they got a little more money to play with, I think, um, and they're 37 and 38, like, nobody, they're, I mean, the Royals are 37 and 37, and the Orioles are 37 38, but no one's like, man, tear down, tear down the Orioles, uh, or no, nobody's saying, hey, keep the Orioles together. They're going to go through it. So, like, the Royals are kind of doomed a bit because they've they've kind of beat expectations and they've got on long hot streaks. So you're thinking, like, oh, no, this team can do it. But it's like, if this was another team that in late June was 500, like, are people – would another – would fan bases be clamoring to just give them another run? You kind of you, – you get what I'm kind of getting at there? Yeah, but I think the big factor is that if the Indians had the Astros record right now, I don't yeah, think people no. would be – I don't think people would be that excited about the Royals. I think it's like yeah. we're only two games out of first place. Yeah, yeah, true. The division's been pretty mediocre. And I I had a laugh because I was listening to sports, sports talk radio like a week ago, and they were like – well, the Indians aren't going to – we know the Indians aren't going to run away with the division because they haven't played very well this year, but the Royals could get hot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, they haven't played very well. Right, and the Indians <laughs> could certainly get hot. I mean, the, Indians, the, the Indians have a lot more talent. Yeah, so. they've got uh, the pitching that could just shut it down. They've got freaking Cody Allen and uh, Andrew Miller and, uh, I mean, uh, Brian Shaw. I mean, like they've got – like they could just in a heartbeat be like, oh, okay, let's go roll off 10 wins and – I think that's what they uh, they just got swept by the Twins this weekend. But I think leading up to that, I think they won like six or seven straight. Like, yeah, I mean, they could absolutely get on fire. Yeah, um, so, so, yeah they have a lot of team, good talent on paper. But, yeah. you know, they were kind of disappointing in 2015, I think 14 yeah. well. So, like, they kind of have to go out and do it. And, and yeah. they, have, they haven't yet. And the Royals have a – they have an opportunity here. And uh, so, I you know, I'm, I think I'm – not to be like contrarian. No. But I think I'm more of like the – you know what? You got to – okay team now you might as well go for it because i don't think like i, I just i think the next couple of years are going to be so bad yeah, yeah sure <laughs> I just, and i don't think i don't see the needle i don't see prospects moving that needle much so yeah. i don't know i mean i i get i certainly getting prospects in july would be it's is more valuable than getting, getting draft picks but I, the draft picks are nice yeah, nice fallback at least. I don't know. It's very yeah because they haven't drafted very well, you know, in the past decade. So it's like, ah, do you really want to give them draft picks? But then you're like, yeah, but you know what? I mean, do you want to? It's too early right now to break up a team. You definitely want to give them a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really like ah, it's just a tough situation. But if they're like, yeah, no, yeah, go ahead. And uh, no, and knowing doing need more, like there's, I just think there's no way no. they trade them now. Like right. even if they, even if they like have a kind of a bad July, like yeah, you know he's seen what they can do. He's like, oh well, they they can just have another you know June yeah. and they'll be fine. And right. you know, yeah, so. especially since he didn't trade away Volquez and like Morales at the gym yeah. last year. You're thinking like, all right, and that's what I said a few weeks back. I was thinking like, you know what. Uh, as soon as they made that run against the Padres and the Giants and then the Angels, you're like, oh, dude, yeah, they're not going to trade. I mean, you know that Moore is going to think that this is, you know, going to ha- this could happen. And you know, mm-hmm. to their credit, um, they did that in 2014, right? Didn't they get super? Yeah, hot? yeah, okay, yeah, um, yeah. They're under 500 uh, yeah. in late July, and and our site was writing fire date more yeah. articles yeah, and trade James Shields articles, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so they they went on a run. So yeah. it's, they it's like, happened before. Yeah. If they were in like the Mariners' position, I mean the Mariners are thirty-nine and thirty-nine. I, mean, I don't know if that's a better record, but it's more wins than the Royals, even though it's five hundred. Um, 
but you know they're 13 and a half games back of the Astros. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if they were in that position, there's no argument. You have to, you've got to trade. Um, right. You know, even though the Mariners are, you know, in the hunt for the wild card, do you really want to rest? Like, the, do the Royals? For me, the Royals need to be They need to win. They need to be going for the division win because do they really want to risk the future or at least really slow down the future? Because they want to have a 10%-ish chance at a 50-50 loser-goes-home game, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like they're a lock for the wild card, sure. You know, not that I'm dissing the wild card, but like, do you really want to kind of hinder the future for uh, you know, a 1-10 shot just to get into a game that's like a 50-50 loser-go-home kind of game? So, yeah, I don't know. So that's kind of – that's, that's the weight I'm thinking of, you know, it's – Wild card's great to get into, but like you're going to be going up, and it's looking like the AL. It's going to be a five sixteen race for the the second wild card at this point. You know, yeah. whoever in the AL East doesn't get it, or whoever gets in the AL East, you know, that's the point. I mean, what if the Yankees get it? Do you really want to risk your future to face the Yankees, probably at uh, Yankee Stadium for a loser goes home one off game? I don't know. So and stuff. Yeah, I think it has to be division or division or bust at this point. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and it'll be interesting to see, like, if Cleveland gets hot the next couple of weeks, like, how much does that change the equation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So we'll so, see. Yeah. So even if, like, the Royals are still 500 at, you know, at the end of July, but, but I mean, you know, if the Indians are – or the, even the Twins, heck, I guess the Twins could do it too. If they're, you know, five, six games ahead of the Royals for the division, then you've got to really, you know, really, really got to decide this. So whatever. We still have a few weeks, thankfully, to kind of figure things out. So yeah, that's a good thing. It's like no one makes trades in June anyway, yeah. so they've got a month to figure it out. But yeah. I'm I'm very, I would I would be very surprised if they make a trade. I would in be too. <laughs> that, yeah. or at least a trade where they sell. Yeah, you know they trade away guys. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's a that's a wrap on the podcast, everyone. Um, you can follow Max. Thank you very much, Max, for joining me. By the way. Thank you. Uh, you follow Max on Twitter, M A X underscore R I E P R. Max underscore Reaper. No, it's all it's all one word. Um, oh yes, that's right. Josh is the is the underscore. So yeah, Max is just one word. Um, great guy. Uh, definitely give him a follow, and then you could follow me as always. Uh, Sean Cor S H A U N C O R E on Twitter. Um, other than that, Max, uh, that's that's all we've got. Everybody have many uh, many good days. time we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.